Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and I'm excited. We're back in the podcast studio. For those that don't know, no one knows this. I, I always say this, but no one knows this. I was away for a couple of weeks. I had my summer vacation where we were fortunate and blessed to do a lot of episodes. So our episodes sometimes get aired weeks in advance uh, to when they actually air, or they get recorded weeks in advance before they air, I should say. So I'm excited to be back in the studio, got the cobwebs off all the equipment, and we've got a special guest for us today coming to us all the way from the Richmond, Virginia area, Kit Rudd. Kit, thanks for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for having me, Dino. It's a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you today. Now, I I've got a question personally. Is Kit short for something? It's not. You know, it's kind of a funny story. My, um, and I can tell you all about this. Actually, it actually relates to my, actually to my pancreatic cancer journey of all things. But, um, but my, uh, my mother uh, was a huge Bonanza fan. It was her favorite show. And you can, wow. I think you know who her favorite character was. She loved Little Joe. So she wanted to name me Landon. Uh, my dad said, uh, no. <laughs> Um, she said, but I love that name. I love little Joe. So they actually compromised and said, uh, that gave me my middle name. So my middle name is actually Landon. I'm actually named after Michael Landon. Uh, but my wow. father wanted to give me a short name, which would suffice as my nickname. So kid is my real legal name. So, uh, yeah, it's not short for anything. That's awesome. Yeah. And we've got the Michael Landon connection in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and fortunately, my, my mother was not, uh, her favorite character was not Hoss or, or Pop Sing. I guess that probably wouldn't work really well for me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kit, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to share your journey. Um, you know, we connected via social media, which I've mentioned on this podcast. We always look for the positives um, in this world right now. And in particular with social media, it can be a very dark place, but we always tend to find some amazing, amazing human beings, you being one of them. I know producer Sam and you connected. I know there were some emails going back and forth uh, during my time away. Um, and so I'm excited to have you here to share your journey with our audience with pancreatic cancer. So as is customary with all our guests, the first segment of the podcast is always the guest opportunity to kind of share that journey. And I'll just say this before I hand the mic over to you is, as always, you can uh, go as far back and stay as high level as you want. And with that, the mic is yours, Kit. Okay. Well, thanks, Dino. Um, well, a long time ago, um, uh, <laughs> I'm, um, I was, uh, I, I'm from, I was born and raised in Texas. Uh, you can probably figure that out from this accent a little bit. Um, but um, I am um, a uh, former Air Force pilot. Uh, spent some was a graduate of the Air Force Academy in 1984. Uh, I flew C-130s for the Air Force uh, in the 80s and into the 90s, and also did VIP airlift. I used to uh, fly um, um, senior government officials, generals, uh, celebrities. Um, and um, interestingly enough, that was my uh, that was my second uh, connection to pancreatic cancer at an early age because I was honored to fly Alex Trebek, um, wow. who was one of my has always been one of my heroes all the way back from his days as the host of High Rollers for you older people who remember that game show. And um, it was just one of the highlights of my life, just getting to meet him, just a, a wonderful human being, warm, funny. He asks as many questions in real life as he does on the show. 
Um, I did get to joke around with him a little bit. Um, he it was just, it was great. So that was my second, that was my second uh, encounter with pancreatic cancer that time. Um, you know, I uh, have, have lived around the world, um, spent time in the Philippines, many times, many years in the Philippines and Japan, um, and then back to Texas. Um, and after I left the uh, left the Air Force, I uh, went into a government service. I worked uh, in, in private industry for a little while and then went to work with government. I worked for the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. and do trade policy analysis there uh, on construction machinery and related equipment, also aerospace equipment. Um, I've been uh, active. I was I was an active person, you know, physically active off and on my whole life, you know, I'm being in the military. But just like many people, as you get older, you slow down, your priorities change, uh, you enjoy food and the things that life offer, life offers. So, you know, my, my health, uh, my, my, my adherence to a healthy living uh, kind of, it, it was it was an up and down journey. But um, uh, in probably about three years or so ago, I got really serious about getting back into shape. I had been a cyclist, uh, a, a serious cyclist in the late 90s and early 2000s. And my father had passed away uh, from a stroke uh, in, in 2019. And I decided it was time to really get back on the health on the health bandwagon. Um, I started eating much more healthy, uh, increasing my level of physical activity, and I actually lost uh, about 80 pounds. So uh, just through walking, cycling, you know, just being a little more careful about what I ate, and uh, things were going great. Um, I felt great. We moved down here to Richmond. I was just, I was cycling. I was meeting friends. Really just, you know, I felt better. I it literally felt better than I felt in probably 40 years. And, um, you know, everything's going great. 2021, going to 2021, summer of 21, um, I actually employed a, a personal coach and started really getting serious about cycling to uh, to start doing some, some serious cycling activities in 2022. And um, this is like, say, October, September, October timeframe. And, um, you know, I go and I started, we started working together and I was really working hard and I said, wow, this program is working great. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting fitter. I'm getting faster. I'm getting leaner. I'm actually losing weight. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating a lot, but I'm eating so much, but I'm losing weight. This is, this is great. And uh, actually it turns out later, it wasn't so great because, uh, you, know, you know, what happened, but, um, I had, it's, it was the weirdest thing, you know, um, I, I very closely monitor the amount of calories that I consume and how many that I that I burn. So the numbers were not adding up. I was eating more than I was burning, but yeah, I was gaining weight. And I thought, but okay, maybe some, maybe I'm just not accurately uh, addressing this. But it's fine. Felt kind of okay. Uh, but you know, something in my mind said something was just not right. I I, I just had it in my mind, and you know, uh, back in 2013. Uh, my mother-in-law, my, uh, my wife Sharon's mother, Dorothy P, uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer, and she was diagnosed um, and, and passed away, unfortunately, 11 days later. Um, you know, just like it's the case in many pancreatic cancer patients, you know, she, vague symptoms that became progressively worse. They couldn't couldn't put their finger on it. By the time they found it, late stage four, metastasis, lung cancer, everything. And she was just, you know, she was past the point where that, that she could that she could really survive. So that always is in the back of my mind, but, you know, I know all the classics, you know, the classic symptoms are, uh, I explained weight loss, jaundice, uh, specific pain, you know, localized pain in the area of the pancreas, back pain. Aside from that kind of weird weight loss, I, 
I didn't have any of other symptoms. I no no jaundice, no, none of that. So I thought, okay, but and I actually looked up symptoms of pancreatic cancer on the internet because it just it was in my mind. I just had this weird sense of like something was not right. But you know, I said, but nothing there. So anyway, got to going through the end of towards the end of the year. We went to Thanksgiving. I had, had a great Thanksgiving. Had a wonderful meal with my daughter. I spent some time with her up in the DC area. Probably ate 5,000 calories that day. Just, I mean, really did it up. Same thing at Christmas. We went up to Christmas and spent the time up there with her. Had a great, had a great holiday. So end of the year, getting the first of the year, I, it was time for my semi-annual, uh, just normal doctor's appointment. So I went to go see my primary care physician. And I had noticed after the holidays that I was a little, just kind of gastrointestinal stress. Nothing serious, but just stomach kind of didn't feel right, you know. So the doctor asked me, hey, is there anything that you'd like me to, that you'd like to tell me about that's going on? And I almost didn't say anything. I said, I said, well, you know, I've got this kind of like, I've been feeling my stomach's kind of been hurting a little bit, but it's not that bad. He said, well, where does it hurt? I said, I don't know. And he says, what do you mean? I don't know. I said, well, I can't tell you. It was in the left or the right. And I said, I don't know. It's nonspecific, but it seems kind of deep. And, and, it, and it, apparently that kind of, struck a chord with him because he said, well, okay. So he went around, he did a physical exam. He said, he goes, okay. So I want you to, want you to make sure that you're back on your regular diet. You know, the holidays are over. And he said, but um, <clears throat> give it two weeks. And if you don't feel better in two weeks, here's the script for a CT scan. I want you to do a CT scan and just see what's going on. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, that seems a little strange, but okay. So he gave it to me. I uh, went back home down here to the Richmond area. I was seeing my physician in the DC area. My wife's Hey, um, we're um, I, I've, I've started seeing a new physician down here um, in the Richmond area. Why don't you go see her? And so we can start. We don't have to go back up to D.C. So I said, fine. I went to see a new physician here. We had the exact same conversation. She said, I'd like you to go see a gastroenterologist because I think this is, you know, obviously this is something that's, that he would or she would be able to address. So I got in touch with a gastroenterologist here. We had the same exact conversation. Um, I've had multiple instances of cancer in my family. My mother had colon cancer. My father had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, my grandmother, uh, breast and bone cancer. So, you know, those are, I, I, I've always been cognizant of that as a possibility. So, um, you know, we had these conversations and Dr. Gaspar, my gastroenterologist uh, said, okay, I'm going to move your colonoscopy up a year. Um, I'm going to do an endoscopy because I think you may have a gastric ulcer and I want you to do a CT scan. I said, just to make sure there's nothing going on. I said, okay, fine. Great. So during that period of time from January until I saw the gastroenterologist, it seemed like every day my gastric symptoms just got just a little bit worse every day, just little by little. And it got to the point where it wasn't that I was in excruciating pain or that I, I was not able to function. It was just that at night I had trouble sleeping. Um, I started taking Tylenol PM. Uh, I had to find a certain kind of position to sleep in. And it just, it was just odd, you know, and I, I knew that something was wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on it. So the day that I saw Dr. Gaspar, I went home and I felt the worst I'd felt yet. And I thought, wow, why did I ask him for something for pain? Because he was convinced it was a gastric ulcer. And uh, I finally got him the next day and he said, okay, well, here's some prescription strength Pyrilosec. Take this. This should make you feel better. Well, it, it didn't. Well, that was a, uh, that was a Thursday. That Sunday, I had um, a big uh, gravel cycling race. We, we ride bikes, on road bikes on, 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 on 
unpaved surfaces. It's, it's kind of a crazy, awesome sport. I had been training for that event and, um, you know, it was Sunday. I said, okay, unless I can't get out of bed this morning, I'm riding that race. And I got up on Sunday morning and I felt kind of, eh, that's so great. But I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. I got up, I did my prep, you know, had my pre-ride meal, kitted up, it's 21 degrees outside, uh, went to the, went to the Pocahontas State Park, got on my bike, crushed the course. Um, I'm 60 years old. Uh, they didn't even have a 60 plus category, but I, I finished 13th out of 57 in the 50 plus category. So I felt pretty good about that. I thought, great, this is awesome. I feel great. Went home next day. I said, here's like the five races I want to do. I signed up for every single one of them. I said, this is good. And I had the CT scan the next day on Tuesday. So when did I get the CT scan? It was okay. You know, saw the, saw the technician, chatted around, joked around with him, you know, and um, we left. And, and he said a very odd thing to me as he was leaving. And he, he said, you know, I'll never forget this. He said, okay, uh, well, um, I'm sure the doctor will be talking to you tomorrow morning. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll hear from him pretty soon. I thought that was a really odd thing to say, but mm. I think much about it. So, uh, sure enough, the next morning, the, uh, gastroenterologist called me and said, because I got the results of your CT scan and I feel it was very important to call you to let you know that unfortunately you found a mass on your pancreas. Mm. And I, it's like, I, I was, I thought this has got to be a mistake. This is, this is impossible, but you know, but it, it was true. And he said, uh, it's, he goes, and I don't want to, cons- I don't want to overly alarm you, but he said, but this looks really serious. So we need to do a biopsy. Uh, we need a biopsy that obviously, um, I had you scheduled for a colonoscopy and an endoscopy to diagnose other things. Obviously this is what's going on. Uh, change of plans. I'm going to do an endoscopy, but I'm going to do a transgastric ultrasound guided biopsy to, to get to your pancreas. So he said, just so happens that I'm the practice expert on that. So we'll get this done next week. So I had to wait nine days for that, um, which was a little gut-wrenching to say the least. Um, fortunately, in one regard, it allowed me some time to kind of process this, the likelihood of what was what was to come. But it also allowed me some time to do some preliminary research on potential you know, treatment options. So we spent that time looking at you know what was available was out there and found some some likely some 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 likely treatment options out there um went in for the biopsy and yes as we feared it was uh it was um, adenocarcinoma um and that got that diagnosis on friday uh we left the uh we left the hospital um i was just kind of like in a state of shock obviously um my wife um who who is incredibly strong person you know um i i couldn't believe her how she handled this uh, she literally had a had a notepad she said okay here's what we're going to do here's the list of those people that we you know we walked we went to the closest starbucks we sat down and she started calling these these facilities we called uva uh they said okay we see you in a month i said uh, no that's that's not that's not acceptable uh, then we called uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU Massey Cancer Center right here in Richmond. I said, we can see you next week. Great. Fine. We went. So um, I was uh, initially uh, evaluated by Dr. Jose Trevino, who's the uh, surgeon in chief at VCU Massey. And uh, I went to see him, his nurse navigator, uh, his resident, 
there's like a five or six people in the room and they they're sitting around and, you know, they're saying, okay, here's what's going on. He just spelled it out to me. And he said, you know, he told me where my mask was. And he said, and the reason that you didn't present the typical symptoms is because your tumor is on the body of your pancreas, as opposed to many times it's on the head, which impedes the biliary duct. And you get the the classic symptom of jaundice because you didn't have it. He goes, he said, but you're having the pain because of the, the size of the mass. So I thought, well, that's that's very important because you know people always key on those on those classic symptoms, and I didn't I didn't present those, and that's why it didn't you know it didn't didn't really occur that this was what it was be. So he said, okay, so based on what I've seen, um, we're going to put you on fulfurinox. Uh, it's going to be awful. Uh, you're going to you know I'm telling you it's really harsh. I just want to prepare you. He said, I want to I want to reduce that tumor in size. He goes, I think that it's resected but you know i want to like hit it hard uh you're fit you're really you're really really strong so i think you can stand up for this treatment he said but there's one thing i need to do is i'm concerned about the size of this tumor he goes anytime i see this i i'm concerned about metastasis so i want to do another round of of scans i want to get ct scans and mris and i want to like make sure that there's nothing else going on there so that gave me a little bit of concern but you know we went uh so we left uh, we did another round of, of scan CT and MRI and I continued on. He told me, cause we were talking about, you know, what do we do now. And he said, he goes, well, do what you've been doing. He goes, if you feel good, you want to ride your bike, ride your bike, you know, don't, you know, don't lay around in the bed. You know, I said, okay, no problem. So just doing my thing. So I was here at home. I was riding my indoor cycle and the phone rang and it was, um, it was Dr. It was Dr. Trevino's office. They called, I said, Hey, so, um, yeah, we got the um, we got the CT and the MRIs back. He goes, uh, we, we see some troubling spots on your liver. Uh, he says likely likely metastasis. Uh, he said not confirmed, but he said here's the thing. He goes, uh, as far as I'm concerned, your your course of treatment is going to be the same. We're just going to do the full furnox. We're going to knock this down. We're going to try to figure out what's going on with your liver, whether it's metastasis or not. And he goes, nothing. He goes, really nothing changes, but. You know, in my mind, something did change because at first we were talking about, you know, resect, you know, a, a surgery, candidate for surgery. And, and, you know, now we're talking about metastatic pancreatic cancer. And that was a that was another big blow. So uh, but, you know, I, I looked at it and said, well, now we know. And so now we are. So let's get this. Let's get this show on the road. So I started for Clear Knox in April. And, you know, it, it's funny because you think about I was thinking about this full Clear Knox and I said, you know, it, it's almost like it's like the long island iced tea of, of chemotherapy, you know, like every, you know, high octane, you know, bottle off the shelf. And it's very effective at what it wants to accomplish, but, Oh, the, but, but the morning after, you know, so I was, I wasn't afraid, but I was apprehensive, but I was also eager to just get the show on the road. Let's, let's, let's get on, let's get on the road to help. So I went in there, took my first treatment and went home. I left the I left the infusion, and I said, "Man, I'm hungry. Let's stop and let's stop and get some pizza on the way home." And I, I literally <laughs> ate two slices of pizza. Came home, woke up the next morning, felt kind of eh, not so great. You know, I, I was tired and kind of like queasy a little bit, but just not not nauseous or not really super ill. But um, ate a little bit. Uh, was a little was a little felt a little under the weather for about two or three days. But by Sunday, I said I told my wife. 
this is stupid. I'm not going to lay around this house. I'm going out for a walk. I want to walk for an hour in the neighborhood. Feel great. Turn around the next time, the next round of chemo. I, I didn't have that weird symptoms. It was like, that's it. I thought it was supposed to get worse every time. It was actually getting easier. And wow. the incredible thing is, is that I've now gone through nine rounds of Fulfirinox. And every time I go through it, it seems to be less, you know, it, it seems to affect me less to the point where now I go, you know, it's like, and as, as your, most of your listeners know, you know, you have to go through the Fulfirinox and you do the uh, oxaliplatin um, and, mm-hmm. and, and then you do the RMT camp and they send you home with a 5-FU pump. I go home with a 5-FU pump and then go out on Wednesday and walk for an hour and a half or two hours around the neighborhood. I walked six miles last, last on my last, my last, uh, my last treatment because I feel I have energy. I feel good. You know, I think, why not? Like, I'm going to do lay around. So do that. And I, I know this is not normal, but, you know, I, I feel fortunate that, um, that, I, that this is what I can do. But I think that's helped me a lot with my with my attitude and, and my approach to you know to this treatment. So um, the so I've been doing that. So what's happened? So where am I right now? So um, I was beginning to wonder. It's 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 kind of funny, but I'm beginning to wonder. Like I'm taking this treatment, but it's not making me sick. I'm thinking, well, if it's not making me sick, am I getting enough? Like maybe they need to get me more. Do they do? Can they do more things? Because you know. If, you know, and so I asked my doctor and I, at, 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 um, at Massey and he said, well, you know, it's everybody's different. I said, OK, it's fine. Well, I was suggested to uh, have a uh, to, to get a second opinion. So I, I decided to, to, to reach out to um, uh, a, a doctor that I was referred to uh, at Johns Hopkins at the Sibling Memorial in Washington, D.C. And, and some of your listeners will actually recognize this name. I know you know him, Dino, Dr. Michael Pishfalan, who's a incredibly brilliant medical oncologist in, in, in DC and Dr. P really helped me a lot to understand, you know, kind of the, the course of treatment spelled a lot of things out for me. He put me, put my, put my mind at ease that I was doing the right thing, that I was being treated properly. And that, you know, that Dr. Martin, my, my awesome oncologist here in, in Massey was, was right on track. Um, but he and Dr. Martin actually, conferred with each other they compared notes and they talked about things and so the the offshoot of everything was is that uh we wanted we, we decided to get much more active on the uh pursuit of genetic testing which is really important in this treatment mm-hmm. so uh i got my genetic testing moved up quickly uh we did the blood tests uh, to check for uh for, for for germline mutations uh didn't find any significant mutations sadly so uh but we also uh decided to, uh, to, to do a liver biopsy to just confirm whether that those spots are, are, are cancerous. And if they were, that, that we would have some tissue to do uh, testing for somatic mutations. So, you know, things that are non, that are non hereditary. So I did that. That was on Monday, this Monday, just four days ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting results on that, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I, the most likely scenario is that it, it is metastasis, but I'm okay with that, you know, uh, because I, because at least I'll know and, and, and we'll be able to, um, to really, really tailor my treatment moving forward so that I can capitalize on this period where I'm actually feeling well. And I'm, you know, I'm stage four, most likely stage four pancreatic cancer, but I'm in pretty good health. I feel good, but capitalize on this time 
and try to like, you know, try to, try to, try to, you know, take care of myself while I can. So, and that brings us up to today. Wow. I, uh, I've been taking notes here and, and first of all, thank you for, for giving us that information and going into, uh, in depth here. And I, I do have a lot of questions here. My first one is you said, and I want to go there first because you brought it up last, the genetic piece. So when you got diagnosed, you, they didn't do genetic testing there originally. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I was really happy that I, that I did take a second opinion with Dr. P. Uh, when I, when I was originally diagnosed at, at Massey, uh, the, they did schedule me for genetic testing, but it was far off in the future. It was like September. Oh, wow. And I, you know, you've got to take, you got to take charge of your treatment. You Mm -hmm. obviously, I, I absolutely and 100% trust medical professionals and I respect their judgment and their, and their education. But when they tell me it's six months down the line, I said, that's, that doesn't seem right. I, I, we, we need to get this done sooner. And so um, the reaching out to uh, reaching out for the second opinion actually kind of jumpstarted that um, mm-hmm. when I, when I talked to Dr. P and then and he and Dr. Mateen uh, conferred, uh, Dr. Mateen said, yeah, he goes, uh, let's, yeah, I, 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 I think that's great. Let's go ahead and do it. So they did, they did that. So I had that done um, in June. So I did the, the, the germline testing in June. So, so I and got that, that. And those results, nothing came back that yeah. there was a germline mutation, which is kind of, you know, when you were telling your story, I, I was waiting for that genetic piece because to hear that, you know, how well you're doing on Flufluorinox and this is, you know, audience listening at home, I'm sure, you know, if they've listened to the podcast, we've had many patients on that, that have been on that treatment protocol. I know of one guy up in Canada. I think he um, he's a former guest. He just messaged me not too long ago. I think he's on like his 57th or 59th wow. round of Lafloranox. But, the, you know, you, this guy, um, there's another, I mean, there's a, I mean, we've had so many survivors on our podcast. So I, I, I say that with my knowledge that I have, there are more than people would think, I think that that have done okay on Flufluorinox. But to hear that you're doing well, as you said, like you're able to go out and walk, that's not the norm. It, uh, it's typically, not. it's the opposite, right? It's the as you said after the first treatment, you're like, okay, feel a little weird, and then the second one, you're like, all right, now you're waiting for that kind of crescendo of you know chemo to kick your kick your butt and kick in, yeah. and that's typically what we normally see, um, you know, is that patients over time have this buildup of toxicity, especially with the Flufluorinox that really doesn't allow them to go out and walk six miles or to bike or to actually, you know, it's typically, you know, the two weeks, uh, the 14 days, you know, by, by day 11, maybe there's like some light at the end of the tunnel. And then those last two days, people feel really good. And then boom, they have to go back and get more chemo. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is it just, a, you know, talking about just yesterday, you know, I, I went to, I went to Massey and had my five FU pump removed yesterday afternoon. I came home, had dinner, said, well, I had a lot today. Let's, let's get on the, I have a Peloton tread plus upstairs. Yeah. I wrote, I walked four miles on the tread plus cranked up the elevation to 10%, you know, wow. hiking up hills, did that for four, did, did four miles, got up this morning. 
I said, oh, yeah, there's this ride I want to ride on Peloton. I got on my Peloton, rode 45 minutes on my Peloton this morning. You know, I'm still wearing the sweaty, the sweaty <laughs> jersey here, you know, and it. because I feel good, you know. And so I just say just capitalize on that, you know. But you know, awesome. like I said, you know, I, I, I know that this is the exception. And, my, and, and honestly, you know, my heart just hurts for people that I talk to that I see that are going through the same thing I'm going through. And that they are not able to, that, that they're not able to do this. And I, you know, and so sometimes when I go out and walk, I, I, it's actually, I've actually told people before, I said, you know, you're not able to do anything. I said, I'll, I'll walk an extra mile today and I'll walk it for you. Cause I'll think about you when I, when I'm out there. And so, you know, and, and I think that's, and I think that's really, and I think that helps, that helps them, helps me. So, you know, I try to keep that in mind. It's powerful. I'm going to go all the way back. Another question that I had written here. Um, so you said, uh, super active pilot. Uh, so you're bouncing around. Pilots don't tend to be obese. Um, I've flown a ton in my lifetime. <laughs> and, and typically when I look in the cockpit, <laughs> yeah, typically and, not, yeah. yeah, the cockpits are small, yeah. but those, those pilots typically are in pretty good shape. Um, yeah. but I know, you know, life happens and Absolutely. You know, whatever. And, and, but so now you get back into shape and hindsight is always 2020, as I said. Absolutely. You said there was really, other than, you know, losing more weight than what you were putting in and you were working out and everything, that was kind of like the first kind of light bulb that goes off. Yeah. And to hear you speak about like, you know, just that timeline and you said, as you realize like something was going on. And I think subconsciously, like we do this to ourselves too, right? Like if we know something's up, then we start to make, not 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 create symptoms, but then we start to realize like, hey, something's not right. Oh man, that little pain. Oh, it's getting worse. But prior to all of that, again, hindsight being 2020, was there ever any indication kit that like, hey, you went to the bathroom and it was like abnormal or you had this like excruciating back pain. Uh, and I'm using the the common classic. as I do air quotes. Yeah, these like yeah. classic common symptoms that, you know, if you get a paper of what is pancreatic cancer, you know, back pain, you know, weird, weird digestive, you know, things that go on. Was there ever a, a, an incident you know, looking back over the past 20 years that maybe you could point to and say, mm, maybe this was like the start of it and it just went away and you didn't really think anything of it. No. And that's the crazy thing about this is that I had none of those classic, none of those classic symptoms. And, and yet, you know, it, it was in my mind, I thought, because, you know, I had had, like I said, you know, um, I I'd, I'd had a, a, an elementary school friend of mine that had passed away from pancreatic cancer and 2010, 2011. So these things are always in my mind. And you see it in the press, you know, and there are celebrities and famous people and people of all walks of life that are passing it. You know, it, it's always in the back of your mind you know, because it's always something, it, they always talk about how non-specific it is. And I, but I, but I never, but truthfully, I never thought it was pancreatic cancer because none of the, the, the quote unquote classic symptoms, none of them presented. I didn't have the, the oily stool. I didn't have the jaundice. I didn't have the extreme back pain. Now, I will tell you, though, that, you know, I'm a cyclist, and so I ride bikes. And so you, you ride a bike for a long time. And so uh, road bikes are sometimes the, the geometry is such that, like, it, it does stretch <laughs> your body. So my yeah. back would hurt. But I thought, hey, that's just, you know, that's just, I just need to get the, the fit dialed in on my bike. And I think maybe that was it. But 
maybe it was something else going on there. Maybe that was that was a, a, a warning sign. But I never I never connected it to a, a pancreatic cancer uh, diagnosis. Uh, but you know, beyond that, back pain. You know, um, and and, and the, the 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 disconnected weight loss. I mean, that was that was it. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I think this is part of, as an advocate, uh, for pancreatic cancer, as, as we consider ourselves here at Project Purple, you know, doing our part in advocacy, you know, I think that's the most frustrating thing. And I know before we hit record, we talked about early detection, right? And, yeah. and this is kind of the frustration that I think the community as a whole has, you know, we're here and I'll use you as an example, Kit, you have someone who, uh, you know, didn't have any signs or symptoms prior to had some family history, but now we know that genetics really isn't a piece of that. Um, but you know, you, you get healthy, you're in good shape and then bang, you have this incident occur with no, no pre-warning, right? Exactly. Like there's, there's exactly. nothing ahead of time. Um, and you know, I'm not a cyclist, but I know enough about cycling. I have a very good friend who's a, a very competitive cyclist. Um, who's almost 50 and um, he is hardcore to the bone. He competes a lot here in new England and he is so regimented. So when you were saying cycling and, and, you know, I mean, I think like, I think you mentioned triathletes, you know, triathletes tend to be, I guess, when we look at the spectrum of, of endurance athletes in terms of their, I, I would say discipline in terms of their eating and exercising, I think triathletes probably go pretty high up. And then, you know, cyclists, marathoners, you know, swimmers get kind of in between there as well. Um, and then maybe CrossFitters are at the bottom because they're doing so many things in my experience, but I know triathletes tend to be at the top because they are really like nutrition is such a key. Um, and then, you know, you have those cyclists and marathoners. So it's not as if, you know, I didn't even ask you what you were eating, but I, I'm sure you weren't eating fast food and, and crappy foods because in order to be on the bike yeah. for hours upon hours and do the training that you're doing, you have to eat very good food. Yeah. Um, so, which, yeah, I can, I can, I can address that. Um, you know, prior to my health, my, 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 my efforts to kind of improve my health, um, you know, I, after I had left the Air Force and I was doing other things, um, you know, I, I think I enjoyed all the things that many of us enjoy. <laughs> to, you know, to to excess, you know, red meat, and I'm a I'm a competitive barbecue cook and chili cook, so you know, I enjoy that. And uh, you know, I enjoyed my craft beer, my wine, and all those things. And so, you know, I I'm sure that I probably indulged more than I should have, um, not to extreme excess, but you know, uh, but I did that over the years. Um, I had um about five, it's four or five years ago. Um, I had a, a, a problem with that's nerve damage in my, in my uh, right leg. It turned out, well, it turned out it was a damage in my nerve, but they thought that I had, uh, that I had uh, degenerative disc disease because I was having uh, this, this, this leg pain that they were associating with, uh, with back, with, with, uh, with my back. Well, anyway, I had to start taking neuropathic meds like, uh, Lyrica, uh, Cymbalta, um, um, th those types of things. So they told me when you, do that they don't like you to consume alcohol so i quit consuming alcohol uh when i was taking those drugs what we, we finally got the situation under control they identified the nerve issue and i had an injection spine but i found that after i had been off alcohol for six months i, I kind of for whatever reason i just kind of lost the taste for it, the experience and so i quit consuming alcohol four years ago and just like i said it wasn't because i had a problem or that I was trying to make any statement or anything. It's just that I thought, you know, I'm just going to change this. And 
it was a really it was a really eye-opening experience for me um i i, I felt it's just the weirdest thing it's like my clarity of mind improved uh just my life my 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 just my general feeling of general health improved and you know i think this really kind of paved the way when i really got serious about making the weight loss that, that not having that in my life probably helped tremendously when i when i really when i really got serious and so i did that so i haven't consumed alcohol for for, for for four years and so you know so i and and as far as like the diet itself when i got serious you know i just you know i'm an engineer by education so i'm, I'm really about numbers and so i try to what i want to do is I want to find i want to find foods that i gotta find something that i like i want to find something that's healthy that has you know it's, it's balanced uh nothing extreme nothing weird uh no fad diets or anything but i want to find something that's you know that, that that's balanced and i want to find that, that i can that i can eat regularly that I don't get tired of. And so I found the things that I enjoyed. I, I figured out what the caloric value was. I use a daily fitness tracker. I use, I actually use my fitness pal. So I started just tracking my, my food, you know, um, I, I found things I like today. I stay within my numbers and, uh, you know, it, it, you naturally gravitate to healthier foods when you start doing that. So, uh, my red meat intake dropped off pretty dramatically. I just started, incorporating more you know whole grains i went uh, I, I kind of my dairy product uh, consumption went down for, for dramatically i started uh using almond milk as opposed to just you know uh, uh, cow's milk i still enjoy it but you know but just you know just just doing those little things on the margins and so uh yeah my my, my eating became much more healthy um so do i still enjoy steak and barbecue and burgers yes i do but you know it's not my it's not my daily it's not my daily my daily uh, uh diet and i don't eat a lot i mean i eat some fast food i love sonic you know i love um you know i love kentucky fried chicken i love chick-fil-a <laughs> but i don't go there every day you know just kind of it's it's all honestly i know it sounds cliche but it's just about moderation you know and yeah so do yeah, that totally and work out right yeah. Yeah. totally it's all about moderation yeah so now moving forward, I know you said uh, met with uh, Doctor P, as we'll call him here. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a second opinion, what's the plan? I mean, I know you said you're you're doing really well on Fulfornox. Yeah. Have they given you kind of any indication? So, I mean, you sound really good. You, you know, you said you're working out, so you're, I assume your numbers are still stable. You feel really good. I always say, like, hey, if you feel really good when I talk to patients, if you feel really good, then that means things on the inside are probably yeah. good right now as well. If you're able to to live an active lifestyle, I would imagine that the cancer stable for the time being. So, yeah, good question. And the answer is, uh, I think the numbers are, are actually trending positively. Uh, you know, I um, you know the the um, you know one of the classic markers is CA199. So uh, from when I was when I had my first CA199 uh, uh, test, uh, it went up. Uh, my numbers were I believe it, it was like about 20, it was about 2600 the first time they tested it. Um, two weeks later, right before I started chemo, they to get their benchmark, they tested it, and two weeks later it was like 3100. Um, it is now down to 1493, so it's gone down 52 wow. percent during chemo and you know and it's it's actually it's it's, it's interesting because it's going down because i think it's going down at an increasing rate so i attribute that i mean you know that's that's a that's that's a pretty strong indicator that the tumor activity is is, is mitigating it's it's actually decreasing um we've had a i've had a, a ct scan and mri uh after 
the second one after I started treatment, I've had some 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 remission in the uh, in, in the primary tumor, my pancreas. What's going on with the liver there? They said it's a little mixed bag. They looks like it's kind of staying the same. One spot may be slightly larger. The one might be slightly smaller. Uh, so that's kind of like this is kind of a murky output or, or outlook on that. Mm-hmm. But again, that's why I, as the patient, strongly advocated for a liver biopsy because I want to know definitely what's going on there. You know, because they keep on telling me, well, whether it's cancer or not, we're still going to treat you the same. I said, well, but yeah, but eventually, you know, am I going to be a candidate for resection or for, for a Whipple procedure? I mean, I, you know, they said, well, most likely not because it's probably, it's probably metastasis. Well, what? again, I go back to the, how do you know, unless you, you know, so, so we, we got that, we, we had that, we came to that understanding. I got that biopsy. So we're going to get that, just get that figured out and move forward. So, yeah. So right now, uh, talking to uh, Dr. Dr. M and Dr. P, Dr. Martina, Dr. Pishvan, uh, you know, they're pretty much on board and said that let's just keep on. Um, they're, they're watching closely the, uh, the, the, the side effects of, of fulfurinox. And as you know, like uh, and Dr. P particularly told me that um, the oxaliplatin, you know, the, the cumulative effects and the neuropathy, the sensitivity to cold and the, and the, and the neuropathy, um, he said it usually gets people around infusion eight or nine, it, it, you know, most cases it, it, that's around when it starts to really get bad. They said, so he said, that's, but that's a cumulative effect, you know, that's like what's happening in four, five and six. He goes, by the time you get to eight or nine, it's like, you know, it's, we kind of, a lot of times we'll alter the, uh, the regimen. We may take the oxaliplatin out of the, out of the mix, or we may go to an alternative, uh, uh, infusion, or we may go to an oral, an oral chemo drug. So he said, we'll just have to see, he goes, but, as long as it's working and it's, you know, it's being there, it's therapeutically beneficial. Well, it's just, we'll stick with it for now. So they've got me scheduled for 12. I just did nine. So I got three more to go. So um, we'll see. I'm, I'm seeing, um seeing Dr. Mateen uh, next week. So we're going to talk about the liver biopsy results. And so I think then basically once we have that, we'll have a little better idea of, of, of what the, you know, wh- where we go from here. And so, and I also, by then we'll have that, hopefully we'll have that, um, that somatic gen, uh, mutation or results there back because I'm also very, I'm very, very motivated and interested in, uh, in, in, in being able to see what kind of clinical trial trials I would be eligible for. Because again, when you're feeling well, it's kind of like what Dr. Fishbein said in his, in his podcast, he goes, he said, you buy patients time, you get them a, a, this interregnum where they're in good health. They're feeling good. They have a good quality of life. He goes, he said, that's the time when, well, A, you live your life, you do the things you want to do, but also mm-hmm. you use that time to avail yourself and find other, you know, methods of treatment. I said, so I feel like that's what we're buying time. You know, it's like, I think you said something about, you know, it's like the, it's like the baseball game. It's the ninth inning, you know, it's like, you know, and, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, ninth inning, two outs, you know, it's like, let's, let's strike another single here. You know, let's, let's just keep, let's, let's prolong the, let's prolong the game here, you know, and so, and find, you know, cause maybe, something's going to come up that'll, that'll, I'll be matched to that'll improve my prospects. So. Yeah. The longer you stay in the game, the more options you have. Right. And that's, uh, that's what this is all about. Um, you know, staying in the game as long as you can getting back up, uh, when you get knocked down and keep getting backed up because you're going to get knocked down time and time again. Yeah. I, I got a question here that, that came up just now. And I had a note here, you know, imagine, uh, you know, being a pilot, 
uh, first of all, thank you for doing that. Thank you for serving our country. Uh, that's a that's a that's that's a serious job. Um, and I've never flown a plane, but I, I have a, a distinct uh, admiration for pilots and plane and in flying because I, at first, I I you know before I started Project Purple, I didn't fly that much. I flew a little bit, but I had kind of this fear, and I, and I think it just stems from family, uh, childhood. And then I just realized, like, I appreciate like the pilots and and what it entails, and then just just learning more about the planes and how sophisticated planes are, and how how amazing planes are. And I, and so I have this love affair with planes, and I just think it's amazing. And I think what pilots do is amazing. And so, you know, there's all these steps, and and clearly, as you mentioned, your background, going to the Air Force Academy. Uh, which is an, an amazing accomplishment. And then being uh, in the position you were to fly people and to, and to fly the C-130s uh, at a very high level. Um, so there's a process, right? There's a process as a, as a pilot at that level that you kind of a checklist, right? Like every time you flew, there was certain checklists that you had to do. And then you mentioned you're an engineer and then the light bulb went off because my brother's an engineer and I know the type. Engineers, you know, like here's the problem. This is how we fix the problem. Here's the solution. So my question to you that I've rambled now here, Kit, for like five minutes talking about this is how is that, like, how are you mentally able, like, I, I think there's pros and cons to this for you because like, clearly I think being a pilot and an engineer and having your background, you mentioned something like, Hey, you got the diagnosis, you and your wife went to a Starbucks and then boom, like you're, you're attacking the problem. Um, but then also, so that's step one is like, okay, that's a positive. But then I see the negative is like, you don't have the answer to the solution. So how are you managing that? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a question. Um, I, you know, um, I, I, I keep on going back to this uh, Dr. P's podcast, which was really, you know, incredible to listen to. And he was talking about how, you know, how every, uh, Every doctor, you know, out there that is that's working in this space, you know, they have a different opinion on how to attack this. You know, they, they have each one has their own. He said it's like an art, you know. And I, I thought that was a really, a really insightful observation. He said, you know, and that, you know, you've got to look at every, you've got to look at every avenue, you've got to look at every, every patient's circumstances, how they respond to whatever treatments, but also doctors form opinions on what's the best way to do this based on what they're, how they're, how they're, their patient is fine. And so I look at that and say, you know, there's just a lot. Yes, you're exactly right. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and, you know, and, and, and engineers and, and, and pilots, people, but, you know, uncertainty is like, is that's like the, that's like the kryptonite, you know, it's like, it's, it's very, it's very unsettling to me. I don't mm -hmm. like, I really don't like uncertainty. I'm very, I'm somewhat risk averse, you know, by nature. So it's hard, but, you know, I think that if you, the more you educate yourself, the more you find, you know, you find information that is that is valid, that is not, you know, bro science or, or, or something, some cockamamie, you know, thing that you pulled off the internet, you know, you get good information from qualified professionals, you know, medical professionals that um, to me, that, that calms me, you know, and that's why, again, you know, I, I ask my doctors many, many questions, you know, um, Dr. Mateen, wonderful doctor you know i when i talk to him you know i think that dr mateen's approach is to is to make sure that you know the broad strokes what's going on but he doesn't you know perhaps he doesn't 
want to um, burden you with, 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 with the really you know, the intimate details. And I absolutely respect that. You know, I'm the guy who says, no, I want the details. Please give them to me. And so I, I always challenge him to say, I want to know more, you know, please tell me this. And he is always quick to, you know, to, 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 to give me that information. And that's great, you know, but, but yeah, I just, yeah, I, I just I think that, that that I help myself by going out there and, and seeking out that info. So on that note, can you share with our audience, like maybe I know saying like one piece, but maybe there's a handful of of pieces that you just found really helpful, or questions that you asked that knowing the way you are, that uh, maybe we could share with our audience that were really super helpful. Um, and again, maybe it's not one, one, you know, I hate to kind of pin you down and say, give me the one. Um, it could be a couple of them. What would that be? You mean the questions that I asked? Yeah. That, like bit, bits uh, and pieces of information that yeah. you gathered and, and that really kind of like, I wouldn't sure. say were a tipping point for you, but really yeah. kind of settled and, okay. and really kind of made sense for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, you know, um, I, I, you know, talking about getting valid, you know, a, a reliable source of information, you know, I have very active, you know, uh, research and actively research, you know, through uh, other uh, pancreatic cancer uh, charities and, and organizations such as the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and the Lust Garden Foundation. We've been raising been raising funds for them over the years, and so they have a lot of great information there. And so, looking at that, looking at those at those at those sources, and seeing about you know what kinds of treatment options are out there, uh, finding those, and then you know, and then talking to uh, people that I've met, you know, in those organizations, for example, Suzanne Igneri, who works with the Lust Garden Foundation, uh, sent me a story about, uh, about a, a very cutting edge radiation treatment it was called, uh, uh, V-Ray. She said, this is incredible kit. You should look into this. And don't, you know, I, I, that, that website sat on my computer for a month. And then just on a lark, I, I popped up and says, you know, V-Ray is a very, uh, you know, it's, it's like state of the art, but it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's only in 45 places around the country. Please mm-hmm. check a map to see what the closest one is at the map. And I think, you know, it's going to, what we're going to tell you, the closest one was 25 minutes from my house. It was at the Massey, PC Massey Cancer Center where I'm being treated. So I'm going, that's great. That's awesome. You know? And so I go to see, so I, I, I contact my oncologist uh, nurse. I said, this is great. It's here, you know? let's use this, you know? And so um, she said, yeah, great. She says, I'm a, I'll talk to Dr. Martina. And he said, he goes, great. He said, yes, we have it. It's state of the art. It's cutting edge. He goes, uh, we're will integrate it into your treatment at the time. We think it's appropriate. He goes, I'm, <clears throat> since you're doing so well in the full Fairnox, um, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, uh, to hit you with, uh, you know, with, with, with the, with, with, with the left hand and the right hand at the same time, you know, we're punching with a one. You know, like said, so, because, but let's hold that, let's, we'll hold that in advance and have it there, uh, you know, for if or when the time comes that, that, that the chemo doesn't, is, becomes less effective, we'll have that there as our, you know, as our next tool, you know, to employ. So just going out there and getting that info, I guess, and, uh, you know, like, like those kinds of things, you know, and just being, you know, just being very, you know, uh, uh, eager to, to ask the questions, just ask questions. Like, again, I go back to this thing about the, you know, I'm taking this chemo and I'm having no, I'm having virtually no side effects. I'm like, am I getting enough? You know, can you give me more? Will that like make it better? You know, Dr. <laughs> he says, he kind of laughs. And I said, I said, or I said, 
or am I like Rasputin? You know, am I like impossible to poison? You know, I said, I don't know. He thought that was kind of funny, but you know, I said, it's just, you just, you just never know. But I asked the question, he goes, he said, it's a perfectly valid question to ask. And I would ask it too. He says, because the answer is, is that no, um, you know, your side effects, there's no cause and effects between no, 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 you know, link between, you know, severity of side effects and efficacy of treatment. So, you know, but just asking those questions and just being, you know, not afraid to, to ask them. And, 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 and if you don't get the right answer, ask again, if you don't get the right answer there, you know, ask somebody else, you know, that, that seems to help. It's awesome advice. And I love that you, you brought that up and said that because uh, I think a lot of times, uh, and, and there's no disrespect to any of the clinicians out there, but I think sometimes patients, um, you know, don't feel comfortable with the answers they get and then they don't ask. And, and, you know, that, that's, you know, doctors are, um, are great people. Well, most of them, uh, there's some bad doctors just like there's, you know, bad accountants and, and, you know, and other professions. Right. And, but I, I think you have to really advocate for yourself and you have to ask the questions. If you don't feel comfortable, if you feel comfortable, fantastic. But if you don't feel comfortable, don't be afraid to ask that question. And I, I think you have to, you have to kind of get over that hurdle to, to ask that question because that could make a huge difference for your life um, in some cases um, for people fighting because no one's going to advocate for you, as you have mentioned. You Absolutely. Know? I got a couple questions here left and uh, it's crazy. I, I, I look down at the clock and you know we're 53 minutes in and, and I feel like we've been talking for like five minutes. It's crazy how fast yeah. the time goes here, Kit. <laughs> this question comes up often and I love asking fighters about this. I know you've mentioned the biking, friends, the barbecuing. Um, I know you're engaged in the community there locally, but the, the question that I pose is during this journey that you've been on, what's the best thing that maybe friends or family have done for you? And, and the background around this is a lot of times we get calls here at the office or someone listening, you know, their neighbor gets diagnosed or there's someone in their family gets diagnosed. And I think a lot of times people on the outside don't know what to do. So I always pose the question to the person in the seat saying, you know, what's the best thing to do? Or, or what are some examples of friends and family that they've done to you, that they've done for you, I should say, that just really meaningful and, and really make a difference? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's actually a great question. And I have I've kind of thought that over a little bit. You know, um, <clears throat> when this first happened, I, I for whatever reason, it, it occurred to me that you get a diagnosis like this and you, you know, and you, you go, well, how do you tell people this? I mean, do you, do you keep it under, do you keep it under wraps? Do you like broadcast it? Do you put it on a billboard? Do you, the way do you, do you call your closest friends and tell them and like, you know, and say, don't tell anybody else, you know, and so you go through these whole, this, this whole, you know, series of thoughts about how you're going to just, and, you know, I, I thought about it and, and, and I actually thought about not so much like what I was comfortable with, what, what, what those people were, what would be the best for them? Because I think, you know, you, you put something on, you know, yeah, this is, this is me, but you, you lay this on someone, you know, and that's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy load, you know? And I thought, you know, maybe some people, you tell them, Hey, this is what's going on. You know, they don't know how to respond. It's like, it's, it's like you, you put them in a difficult position, you know, that they, do they, you know, they feel like, well, do, do I need to come over? Do I need to bake a cheesecake for you and bring it over? You know, uh, do I need to like come over and ask you a million questions? Do you want me to call you? Do you want me to leave you alone? 
And so I think that, and, and it was funny because some of my friends, when I, that's exactly what happened. I had a friend that's very close to me. I, what I did when I was first diagnosed is that I thought I'm going to reach out to my very inner circle because those are the people that I, I feel I can trust and that they can provide me with some immediate support. And one of my friends, I reached out to him and I didn't hear from him for a week. I go, well, geez, I guess like, you know, he didn't really care. Well, a week later, it's out of the blue. He said, kid, I guess he's, you know, just, and he said, I've been in tears because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to do. He goes, my mother, because his mother had passed away from pancreatic cancer. He said, I just, he goes, it was just, it was just too much for me to bear. And I thought, man, what a jerk I was thinking he didn't care. Like he, he cared. It was like, but he, you know, he, he was so, he was so distraught that he didn't know, but you know what? He came back and we talked and, 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 you know, I thought, well, and I told him, I said, well, I am so sorry to have to burn you with this. And he goes, you don't have to apologize. I said, well, no, I, I feel I do. And so it's just hard, you know, it's just really hard, you know, uh, but, but I'll tell you, so that, that's part of it. But as far as like what people did, people have done or do for me, the best thing, the very best thing that people have done um, is, when I, when I was diagnosed, you know, and I said, okay, here's the, here's the reality. You know, uh, no one knows how many days they have left on this earth. You know, none of us know. But the most likely scenario is that my days here are probably a little less than, than other people. And so I think, so I got to, <clears throat> I have a finite number of days. So let's make the best of these days. And so let's, let's, let's take care of our people that are closest to us and, and spend time with them. But let's also maybe like maybe take some time to, to help other people who are in this, in this same situation. You know? So I said, I'm going to like work like a demon to like to to uh, to, you know, coordinate or to, to work with, with pancreatic cancer charities and raise money and awareness so that the person who comes after me might not have to be in this position, you know, uh, five years down the line or 10 years down the line. So I got out there, you know, uh, three weeks after I was diagnosed and I. I found a local pancreatic cancer charity, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. They were doing the Purple Stride Walk here in, um, in Richmond. And I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to raise money for this. And I thought, okay, so how much money can I raise? I thought, well, uh, maybe I can get $1,000 because, you know, they have this cool thing where if you get $1,000, you get a, get a hoodie. And I thought, okay, so I'll have to get a hoodie, right? So, well, uh, I, uh, I, I, I exceeded that a little bit. I actually have the... Uh, so yeah, the first place fundraising team here. Uh, we raised awesome. over fifteen thousand dollars for, wow. uh, for for uh, for Pancan, and um, I have the the medal. Let's see, yeah, that's so awesome. Kid here, I like a like a little kid with my with my red hair. <laughs> I love the, it. I love the, it. The individual, anyway. But you know, the cool thing about that is, is that it's not me, right? It's not me doing that. It's like it's all these people, these generous people that I'm surrounded by. People come out of the woodwork that I haven't spoken to you for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, you know, but they, they say, I just heard about this and dude, here's $500, here's a hundred dollars, here's a thousand dollars. It's just, it's just, it's mind blowing. And so that is the absolute best thing that has come out of this because those people and their generosity, you know, it, 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 it helps me from a, just from a feeling better, but it actually has tangible benefits for other people. And that's, that's the best right there. So. You know, hearing you say that, uh, I got goosebumps and, and this is why I got goosebumps. 
because uh, I've been doing this 12 years. And so we know this disease is a 62,000 person disease. My mom's a two-time breast cancer survivor. Breast cancer is a 250,000 person disease. And I've always said the way that we change this narrative is we got to motivate, you know, so it's five to one. I would, you know, five to one pancreatic cancer uh, to breast cancer or breast cancer to pancreatic cancer, five to one. And I've always said, we got to motivate six, seven people for every one person, right? So hearing you tell that story, Kit, of how, you know, you, you've rallied community, you've rallied friends, strangers, family, you know, for, for what you're going through, for the next person going through it is what we have to do, right? Like this is what this podcast has become. Not not that this is a, yeah. a plug here for the podcast, but like I always envisioned, like I always said, hey, we're just gonna tell stories, man. And, and this is our way of hopefully, not our way, but part of our, our process here of raising awareness and telling these stories. Because if there's someone on the other side listening to this that never knew about pancreatic cancer, but now knows a sign, a symptom, or, or gets inspired to raise awareness, then that's a win, that's a home run, right? And, and, and just hearing you say that, is just so special because that's how we really change this. It's a numbers game, but we need the people to help us, you know, lift and help to raise awareness. That's how we change this. And and it's not rocket science. You're an engineer, you know, here's the problem. This is the solution. You got to motivate more people. We need more people to get involved and get engaged. We need government. We need pharma. We need private sector. We need public sector. We need all these things to collide all at once. And when that happens, oh, it's going to change and it's going to move and it's going to be powerful. Um, but I feel like we are going in that direction. Um, there's certain sectors that are lagging, unfortunately, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get them on board. If we have enough momentum, we'll, we'll push that, you know, that we'll push the cart across the finish line, yeah. as they say. Yeah. And, I think, the, you know, I just think that the, I, I think, I don't know, I, I'm an optimist here. I think that the momentum is, 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 is increasing. I really think, I, I honestly think that we're on the verge of some really big, some really big, steps and some progress i just the things that i see and just i, I don't know i just have it in my mind that, that we're on the cusp we just need to just keep pushing but we this is not the time to let up this is when you double down no you know? no this is like you know, when like you, you hit the gas you gotta keep you gotta keep your keep your foot on the gas and pedal harder you know right so yeah yeah, yeah it truly is i mean i i think you know not to get off subject here, but you know, I mean, there there are some promising things on the science side, um, treatment wise, um, that we have learned on the early detection side within the genetic space. Uh, we do know. I mean, there there, there was just a, an amazing report that came out uh, while I was away. I just caught it. So there's this CAPS project that's been around for I think like seven years. Um, we have funded one similarly uh, that's a little bit bigger, but the CAPS uh, project came back, and you know, they've caught early cancers. Um, you know, MSK was one of the sites. There were seven sites. Hopkins is another one, but I think the report listed, um, 10 stage one pancreatic cancers that they found in surveillance. Um, that's a win. You know, those 10 yeah. people get diagnosed at stage one, um, and they would have not been diagnosed at stage one if not for that study. Um, so we know that that works. And now the, the, the bigger, key to that is like, how do you now, you know, bring that out to the entire community and not just this genetic piece, right? And and how do we come up with diagnostic testing and, and early detection for everyone and not just the high risk population uh, of genetics? Um, but 
you know, we've got to start here, right? Like that's the starting point and those are the wins. And, you know, so we've got to carry that momentum and continue to do those things and continue to message it and continue to motivate and, you know, share stories like yourselves, uh, like yourself that are having positive results with, with a very, very toxic chemo. And, th- and this is something that we've talked a lot about Kit here. Um, you know, being an engineer, I'm sure you know the reality and the statistics of, of this disease, but there's nothing out there that ever says that you can't be that 9%, 10%, right? right. That's absolutely right. There's nothing out there to someone listening who just gets diagnosed that says you can't be like Kit and have Flafluronox and and have a very high quality of life and still do the things you want to do. Um, so, you know, that, that's the reality. And so we have to keep messaging that and we have to keep telling that story. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing all that. I, I do want to, uh, so you got your Jersey on for those listening, um, you can't see it, but for those watching on our YouTube, we've got the Jersey. So talk a little bit about the journey, uh, excuse me, not about the journey, but about yeah, the yeah. Jersey. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So one of the things we did, you know, one, another fundraising initiative we did was, uh, here in, in Richmond, um, I worked with my, uh, with a good friend of mine and a business owner here, Glenn Amy of um, Journeyman's Adventure Company. It's a buy shop, locally owned buy shop here in, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, we, we decided we were, I, I was trying to find some some pancreatic cancer, you know, kind of focused cycling gear to wear, to like to just to raise awareness. And there wasn't anything out there. And I said, Glenn said, hey, hey well, you, you know, I work with this, you know, I work with this manufacturer and we can get, we can, we can design anything. I said, oh, really? So we we tossed some ideas around, and so we came up with this idea to like to do a, a pancreatic cancer themed jersey, and this is Kit's Pan Cannibals. And so uh, to explain the cannibals, I have to explain this. So for anyone, so there's probably your your audience is not cons- not consisting of a lot of like cycling professional cycling historians, but um, but uh, one of the the greatest uh, professional cyclists of all time was Eddie Merckx, uh, Belgian cyclist, and his nickname was the Cannibal. And they call him the cannibal because he was relentless in his, you know, his attack, you know, as, as, as a cyclist. And he took no prisoners and he he gave no quarter to his uh, to his opponents. And he's relentless. So they call him a cannibal. So we're thinking about pancreatic cancer and cannibals. And I just came a conflate. I said, ah, pan cannibals. Like, we'll be like the pancreatic cancer, you know, uh, warriors. We're going to attack this. This, this this terrible disease. We're gonna like get after it. We're gonna like double down. We're gonna do everything we can to um to, to help people now and in the future. And so we decided. And he says, "I love that name." So we did it. We did it in purple and gold. And um, we, we also put another little thing here. This is a uh, my oh, it's on the back. I won't turn around. But anyway, we we put um uh, some, some reference to our to our cooking friends. And so uh, awesome. I, I I put up put on the back is cooking up a cure so we're cooking up a cure so you see pan candles in the front cook, cooking up a cure on the back and uh i wanted to let 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 everyone know that uh we, we sell these uh through uh, my partner and uh proceeds from these sales go to um pancreatic cancer charities and i wanted to let you know dino that if anybody here is listening um i'm going to get the contact info on how to reach out if you would like to purchase one of these jerseys if you're a cyclist or you're a cyclist friend or something do that uh those proceeds i would like to uh i'd like to anyone that does that here i'd like to send those proceeds to uh project purple so i'd like to to donate to your to your charity you know uh awesome. there's so many worthy can't pancreatic cancer charities out there but we're all in the same boat we're all pulling together and um you know i want to 
make that offer. So, um, oh, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And that's awesome. And we'll make sure to get that information out, yeah. uh, to our audience and to our community. Okay. I've got one last question for you. And, uh, I know you've listened to a couple episodes, so, uh, hopefully this isn't the first time you've probably heard this, but maybe it'd be naturally the first time you answer it. I always, uh, tell our guests, this is a loaded question. I have a lot of loaded questions, but this is the loaded question. Um, there's no right or wrong to this, uh, to your answer and to this question that I'm going to ask you, but in your experience and what you've gone through in your journey, what is your definition of the word pancreatic cancer? Well, I, I did, I did see some of those podcasts and I have been thinking about this. So, um, you know, uh, well, pancreatic cancer, first of all, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a gut punch, honestly. It's just a devastating and soul crushing, you know, bit of news uh, at first. But you know, this is going to sound this might sound kind of crazy, but I I actually think of it as actually as, a, as an opportunity, you know, and it's an opportunity to for 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 those of us who are suffering from pancreatic cancer to kind of refocus our lives and to say, you know, figure out what's important and to focus on that you know, kind of filter out the negative as the best we can. It's a, it's a struggle. Trust me. I've got negative things in my life, but to, but to try to not focus on those folks on the positive, take care of those people that are closest to you, uh, reach out to those people that are in the community that are suffering like you and, and give them a hand, you know, and how do you do that? Talk to them, you know, volunteer to, to spend some time with them, um, raise money for these very worthy charities. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a guy of something, you know, I, I look at pancreatic cancer as, like I said, as a, a you know, a, 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 you know, a bat, something really bad from which some really wonderful things can, can, can come from. So. Powerful stuff. Kit, um, someone listening to this podcast, if they heard something going through a similar fight, where's the best place uh, that our audience can connect with you? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I, I use social media in a positive way. So, um, I, I, I created an Instagram page that uh, focuses on my pancreatic cancer uh, activities. Um, it's, it's pretty easy. It's called cooking up a cure, but it's C O O K I N C O O K I N up a cure. And you can look it up on Instagram. It'll pop right up. I need more followers. So please find me, follow me. I'll follow you back. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Disease. I, I, on that page, I talk about a variety of things. I talk about things I do at home, like my cooking. I talk about things I do in cycling. I talk about my fundraising. I just, it kind of focuses, it, it, it all kind of circles back around this pancreatic cancer journey. And so, you know, I share some pictures of, you know, talk about people that I meet and, you know, and just kind of keep it positive and, 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 you know, kind of light. And, um, it's, um, you know, and so, uh, I hope we can go in. and I've, I've met some really great people just met some through, through that. Um, I'm also obviously on Facebook. It's just my name, Kip, Kip Rudd. You can reach out to me there. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, gosh, I, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably the two easiest ways to reach out to me. Um, I, I also do a blog that I share with, uh, with what I talk about my dogs are so telling me, oh, sorry. <laughs> they're, they're, they're agreeing on me, I guess. But uh, but I do a blog where I talk about my just just what's going on with my treatment that I share with uh with some of my my closer circle. But anyone that wants to uh, subscribe to that blog, um, I can make that I can make that link available to you through your through your channels. 
if they want to subscribe, I'm happy to happy to have them uh, happy to have them subscribe. I talk a little about things there a little bit more in detail, some more of the technical aspects of the details about what I'm doing was regarding my treatment. And, you know, try to share that with people and keep them informed. So that's where you can reach me. But please, awesome. please, please, please reach out. I love to talk to people about this. I'm very passionate. As I told you, you know, I, I'm kind of a introverted extrovert, except when it comes to something I'm very passionate about, in which I'll talk to you all day about this as you've kind of figured out. <laughs> I love it. So I just uh, went out to Instagram here on my phone. I just hit follow. Uh, and I love like the first three posts are all about food. I love food. So I love uh, I love it. I love it already. And then I just scroll down here. I see you got the jersey. I love the straight out of chemo uh, t-shirt here. Oh, yeah. I love that post. shirt. Yeah. I love that. That just gave me yeah. an idea. Kit, it has been uh, an absolute honor to have you here on the podcast. And, and really, uh, thank you for sharing your journey with our audience, with the public at large. Uh, I look forward to following you on Instagram and staying in touch with you and keep seeing you doing all the great things that you're doing. Thanks. Well, thanks for, yeah, like I said. And the last thing I'll say, Dino, is that, you know, uh, the beginning of this, I, I, I want to tell you that I forgot. You know, I, I know it's been a long time, but I, I wanted to say that I wanted to express my condolences, you know, for you losing your father to pancreatic cancer, but for you taking your grief and your, you know, your the things that you did, and turning into something positive and starting this and starting this organization and starting this podcast because you're making a difference. And I really appreciate that. Kit, thank you. Thanks for being a guest. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this podcast, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on YouTube. And until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching the Project Purple Podcast. <laughs>